to another edition of the Knoll Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Carter Carls. It is Thursday, November 3rd. It is Florida State-Miami rivalry game. Let's go. 7.30 p.m. at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. Florida State's a a 7.5-point favorite. Me and Essen think that maybe they should be a higher favorite. Uh, But you can listen to that segment after we talk with Mark Rick, the former Miami Hurricanes quarterback and head coach and Florida State offensive coordinator under head coach Bobby Bowden. Uh, Really, really exciting interview with him. So without further ado, let's get it started. Here is Coach Mark Rick. Okay, we are now joined by Coach Mark Rick, former offensive coordinator here at Florida State, former head coach at Miami. I mean, perfect guest really to have for Florida State Miami this week. Welcome to the show, Coach. And just I want to first ask you about uh, this rivalry, Florida State-Miami. What does it mean to you, and uh, how excited are you for Saturday? Oh, it's an exciting time, no doubt. I think that's why television still loves this series, no matter what the records are. It's it's been a great rival game for so long. Uh, To be a part of it, it's been a lot of fun, like you said. Uh, Coached in both places, but also was a player at, at Miami during that time frame too. So things didn't get heated up quite as much as they did uh, during the years that I was coaching. But uh, there's there's some great, uh, great times when both teams were at the top of the college football world and everybody was watching. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering, and, and this could be a hard question to answer, but your favorite memory or favorite time just watching as either a player, coach, just an observer from this rivalry that, that really stands out to you? Well, there, there's so many, obviously. Uh, so many great games, you know, in the 90s that were very crucial to who's going to win the national championship, who's going to play for the national championship. You know, so much on the line so many times. Uh, I can tell you my worst experience <laughs> that was as a coach when uh, Miami beat us 31 to nothing to open the season. Mm. I think we were preseason number one and uh, might have been the Seminole wrap <laughs> year, but uh, it was one of those years where they had uh, snuck a defense into the uh, 46th defense of the Chicago Bears. Yeah. We're running back in that day with Buddy Ryan and in the offseason they installed it and we didn't know it and, uh, it, it, it wore us out that day. <laughs> Man, well, you know, you look at this weekend, um, I think Florida State currently is a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, what, what, what kind of stands out to you about this matchup and just uh, kind of how these two teams are doing this season? Well, you know, Tyler Van Dyke getting hurt was huge for Miami. He's, you know, a great football player, a great kid. Uh, my son and I actually helped recruit him out of Connecticut uh, to come to Miami and uh, turn out to be a really, you know, outstanding player. And, of course, it looks like he's out for this game. And Garcia's a talented kid. You know, I think he he tends to be a little bit uh, careless with the ball at times. Some of the decisions he makes I think aren't the best sometimes. You know, I think he's – he wants to make every play a touchdown, and you don't necessarily have to do that hmm. at the quarterback position. But uh, yeah, I think I think Florida State's defense overall is stronger. Florida State has a better running game to go along with, you know, Jordan Travis, who has improved as much as any player in America, in, in my opinion, or at least in you know the league that I study, which is the ACC. Yeah, uh, you know, Jordan has just become such a polished pocket passer, in my opinion, compared to what he was. Then you add his ability to run and you know, total Feely, Benson, and kids that can really add to the run game. So I think, I think you know, I, I'm not into the lines of these games, but I would definitely say Florida State should be favored in this one. I want to ask you about both Jordan and, and Tyler with, with Tyler and really just Miami's offense. I, I think it's been, been a little bit surprising going into the year, you know, Tyler kind of had this first round hype and, and 
he showed it at the end of last year. Like, man, this this guy can really make some throws and, and looks like an NFL guy. But then this season, it, it just hasn't really come together, and certainly he's, he's gotten hurt as well. But how, how do you kind of explain what what's happened? Well, you get a change in offensive coordinator. It was huge. I mean, Red Lashley was an outstanding coordinator. He's, he's a guy that um, – really did a great job of getting certain matchups and you, you seem to be able to count on every game to have at least one or two plays where guys are just broke wide open for easy scores, you know, and, and, and this year, you know, everything's is coming more of a struggle for Miami offensively, even when, when Tyler was playing, you know, especially early on. He started to catch on fire a little bit towards the end before he got hurt, but uh, I, I, you can't underestimate the changing of the coaching staff and the philosophy of what you're doing. I mean, you look at what happened with Brandon Armstrong over there at UVA. I mean, he was lighting it up, you know, probably the number one passer in America when it came to yards per game or, you know, top five probably. And then there was a big change of philosophy on how they wanted to go about playing offense and, you know, working hard towards this balance that coach was looking for. And uh, in the meantime, you know, they had some pretty outstanding receivers and a quarterback who could light it up. And I think they handcuffed those kids for a while, to be honest with you. But so I think a change, I'm not saying either system is bad that came in. I'm not saying but it's different and it's a new learning experience, new terminology, new, new ways of, uh, attacking people, uh, just keys and reads and progressions, you know, things change. Yeah. All of a sudden you're, you're like a freshman again, trying to learn it all over. Yeah. With Florida state, it's almost been the opposite where, like right. you said, Jordan Travis comes in and, I think what we saw in the offseason in practice, we thought this guy seems to have really improved, but also the weapons around him have, have really improved as well. But from your perspective, it's it's probably been a lot of the same scheme. It's just really the, the talent around him that's probably helped him improve, right? Or, or what, how do you kind of explain that? Well, I think that's part of it. I think he's getting protected better. I think he's getting guys, you know, making plays for him, but – uh, he certainly has gotten better. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind. And I, I think, too, uh, I'm going to make a little bit of a comparison to when we had Charlie Ward. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the day, Charlie was a very athletic guy. And uh, I think sometimes when you have an athlete, you're like, well, we we need to uh, sprint out. We need to run nakeds and bootlegs and things of that nature. And and uh, because he can, he can move, but what happens when you do that is you, you cut the field in half and you let the defense really hone in on a certain one half of the field where if you drop back in the pocket, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta cover every half. So when the quarterback does take off and run, he's got more space. Yeah. And when he does drop back to pass, he has more options. And I think, you know, they've just felt more comfortable with him as a, as a pocket passer. And they've done things uh, to, you know, help him take, you know, advantage of all of his gifts, not just his ability to move. I want to read you, you two stats about this offense because you, you, you'd probably have a good idea of the, the comparisons to make to some of the former Florida State offenses. And and it's it's different eras, absolutely. It's hard to, it's hard to make these comparisons, but two stats that have just – really uh, stood out are on a per-game basis, they average more rushing yards a game since any Florida State team since the 1995 team that had work done on it. Uh, right. Which is crazy to me because you think of Dalvin Cook and you know some of the other guys they've had in this program. Um, then the other one is they've, they average the second most yards a game for a Florida State team since uh, the Chris Winkie team in, in 2000. Uh, 2013 is, is obviously number one there. But um, I, know, I know it's different eras. It's hard to compare. But 
when you watch this offense, is it like I don't know if you can compare it with the best of the best. Well, when you when you look at the rushing yardage, you know, first of all, you know, game number one skewed it a little bit with Duquesne. Yeah. You know, four or five hundred yards rushing, whatever it was. You know, three backs over a hundred yards. And you know, that was impressive. I don't care who you were in the ball against. But when you have, you know, a stable of backs that can carry the load and you can get a guy like Ward injured and still have Benson and Tofili, that's that's impressive. And then, you know, when you add the ability of the quarterback to run the football, you know, a lot of those rushing yards uh, are coming from the quarterback position, maybe more so than any time. I think, I think Jordan has the record for the most yards rushing as a, as a quarterback, I believe. Yeah. Already, uh, you know, and even when we had Charlie, you know, Charlie, I think his best year ran for 500 yards, and most of his were off scrambles. There really wasn't a lot of quarterback design running games. So when you take a stable of backs uh, like they've got now, as far as not just one or two, but you know, they had three, I think, really quality guys. Then you had a quarterback who could really run. And that also takes away from the sack yardage. You know, if you get a quarterback who's traditional, that gets sacked, you know, so often you get negative yardage in the rushing game, you know, that that gets canceled out when you get a guy like Jordan Travis. So I think a lot of those things are the reason why. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's certainly like you, you look at the team, you're like, okay, this is not the 2013 team. This is probably not some of those teams in the 90s offensively. But to see some of those comparisons – it does catch you your attention a little bit where you say, yeah. wow, okay. They're, yeah, they're impressive. You know, don't get me wrong. I'm not yeah. trying to take away from yeah. what they're doing because it has been impressive. And when they're really uh, hitting on all cylinders, they are as good as some of those teams. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it, and it, it, always, it always starts with the quarterback. You know, if, if, you don't have a, if you don't have a quarterback that can play ball or – He's a, if he's just a one-dimensional guy, then you know you might win games when you're in the lead the whole way. But when you get behind, you got to be able to come back. And that's another thing that Florida State's capable of doing is getting behind and being able to throw their way out of trouble. Where I'm not sure they could have done that as well a year ago. Yeah, and and I'd say maybe the the one reason they're they're not quite at that level as some of those other great teams in the past is finishing drives and red zone has been a, a problem for them. You saw right. last week with the, the mishandled snap and Georgia Tech right. taking it back. Uh, they're, they're 105th in red zone offense uh, this season. And for an offense that ranks top 20 in pretty much every category, I think it's, it's caught a lot of us off guard. So I'm wondering if there's anything you've seen that, I mean, is it just this is still a, a team that's still developing and learning how to win and, and execute in those situations? Or is there something you've seen that maybe w- would need to change um, as far as that? Well, and I'm not sure if this is a touchdown ratio or, or scoring ratio because there's a difference, obviously. There's some teams yeah. that have scored every time in the red zone, but, you know, it's all field goals. You know, that's yeah. not good. Yeah. So I'm not sure that stat, if that's – Strictly TDs or it's uh, for scoring. scoring it's for scoring. Just scoring. Yeah, yeah. So that includes field goals. So um, you know, I don't know if there's been any block kicks or missed field goals or trouble with that. It doesn't seem like that's been a big issue. Um, but yeah, you know, a lot a lot of teams struggle in the red zone when you don't get into some power formations. You uh, you still see a lot of zone read and quarterbacks pulling the ball, but, you know, defensively, they don't have, they don't need to have a safety deep. They can have both safeties basically on the line of scrimmage. And, you know, a lot of times there's a, the read is to pull the ball for the quarterback, but he's still outnumbered to the, to the edge. Yeah. And, uh, I just think it's a numbers game sometime. And sometimes I think you just got to line up and get big and impose your will you know, down inside the five especially, but that's that's kind of been my uh, – I've had an issue with a lot of teams that, you know, stay spread down there inside the five-yard line. Yeah, I I think it may 
speak to I don't know if they have a ton of confidence in those obvious running situations you, you see them do a lot of jet sweeps you see some direct snaps to running backs and wide receivers things like that um, so it, it's interesting some of them work some of them don't but um, I, yeah, I mean when you got to get creative to to generate yardage down in that, that part of the field you're you're kind of in a guessing game a little bit sometimes yeah for sure, and, and I want to I want to ask you about your time at, at Florida State. Um, I, I know you you've talked about it quite a bit, but uh, I I first want to just ask what being a grad assistant is like uh, in nineteen eighty five at Florida State. What what what's that right, experience well, like? It's a very interesting situation. Um, not to get too wordy with it, but <laughs> Coach Bound had Art Baker as his offensive coordinator, and they were running the freeze option. And uh, and coach kind of let Coach Baker run the show, and he went. He just went too fired up about running, running, you know, f- option football. He's more play action, play action. I mean, run I formation, play action, the pass type stuff is what he liked to do. Mm-hmm. So when Art Baker got the head job at East Carolina, he was trying to hire Brad Scott to go to East Carolina with him. Uh, as the tight ends coach or whatever he was going to make Brad, maybe maybe make him the offensive line coach, I don't know. Well, Coach Bowden didn't want to lose Brad Scott, and at, the, at that moment, Brad was a graduate assistant. And so Coach Bowden put him on full-time when Art Baker left. So in, in essence, the quarterback's coach left, and then he Coach Bowden hired a tight end in that place. So there was no full-time job to give to a quarterback's coach because he gave it to the tight end position. Mm. So coach coach's idea was coach Bounds idea was to bring in a graduate assistant coach to help him coach the QBs. Mm. And uh, so, so that's kind of how I got hired on that premise. And it, gosh, you know, it seemed like coach showed up to uh, the first meeting with me uh, and I, he let me run the meeting and then he kind of followed me around the field first or second day of practice. And then he never, he never came back. He just, he let me coach him. And I didn't, I didn't, I had no idea how big of a deal that was, but yeah. So I was still doing graduate assistant duties, you know, room checks and roll calls and breaking down film and, you know, doing the things that GAs do, doing self scouts, just doing all kind of duties that you would normally do as a graduate assistant. But I was, able to be the quarterback's coach at Florida State, you know, way back in the very beginning. So I, I just really, you know, love coach for, you know, having the faith to allow me to do that. And one of the things that helped me was the fact that I did go to the University, the University of Miami yeah, and uh, under Coach Snellenberger. And Coach Snellenberger brought in the Miami Dolphin uh, offensive system to college football. So I was kind of learning the pro system as a player. So I went to Florida State. I, I had some, you know, some knowledge and some experiences that were helpful to get a few ideas in here and there as a, as a young coach. And you know, when you you joined the the team, they they hadn't won the national championship yet. They had success, um, and then obviously, you know, the rest is kind of history there. But Wondering what your initial impressions were of, okay, what what is this team capable of? Can this be, become kind of the monster it became where you you know we win in a championship in ninety three and ninety nine? Did you think? That I, that I was think going? I think to be perfectly honest, there's a little bit of a uh, complex about the Gators because hmm. uh, you know Florida was more dominant of a program at the time. And we kind of took a back seat to them a little bit, even in recruiting. It was tough to win the recruiting battles if Florida wanted them. It was it was tough to get those guys. But then the, Florida went on probation one year. I forgot the exact year. But um, when they went on probation, they couldn't be on television. When they couldn't be on television, a guy named Deion Sanders wasn't about to go to a school <laughs> that you couldn't be on TV. So... Got Deion Sanders. We got a bunch of other great players 
that I can't remember exactly who's in that class. Yeah. That class kind of turned the tide in recruiting and started to make Florida State a place where these high-level recruits from the state of Florida wanted to go. Not not that we didn't get any. We did. But it just seemed like we were going to lose more battles than win them against the Gators. And after that year, it evened the score and made it much more of a true true rival, even in recruiting. So I, I'm, I'm fascinated to know what you think of this because there it's not quite the parallel. It's, it's not the same, but – you look at this team now and, you know, they went through some dark ages there and, and now they're finally putting together a team that can make bowls and, and can get above 500 and, and and really has the talent to win eight, nine, maybe even ten games this year. But I think right. the, the fans see the three losses. They see, okay, the best teams or at least three of the four best teams on the schedule – were, you know, you saw the self-inflicted wounds. It just seemed like the team that still was looking to learn how to win and, and win those big right. games. And right. what do you think when you identify it and what maybe from your past experience where, you know, you, you were at a program that was looking to win kind of those big games and then, boom, y'all break through. For this program right. where it's well, at right now, what do they need to do to do that? Right. Well, for example, my first year at Miami when I was head coach, we won the first four games, then we lost four in a row. Yeah. And then we won five in a row to finish the year nine and four. But what happened in those uh, <clears throat> those four games we lost, we lost really close games. And uh, <clears throat> so we were, on, we were on the verge of having, you know, 10, 11, 12 wins that year, but we didn't get it done in the close games. I think all four of them were like within a touchdown or something like that. So, so then fast forward to the next year, we had a five game winning streak going into year two, and then we won the first ten. And what was the difference? The difference is we won. We won the close games. Yeah. And uh, and I think that that just takes um, just a little bit more attention to detail, a little bit more. I think the players learn that one play can turn the entire game. One game can turn the entire season. And just how crucial the little things are. And, you know, sometimes they get tired of hearing coaches talk about it. <laughs> but when you live it out and, you, and you've realized, you know what, coach is right when it comes to that, we then, then that offseason becomes a little bit better and your camp becomes a little bit better and your week, and your preparation becomes a little bit better uh, because they, they know, they learn from experience. And most people got to experience it to figure it out. It's hard to tell somebody something and have them, you know, say, Oh, I, I got it. I understand coach. <laughs> so that, that, I think that's part of it too. Just, you know, learning how to win those big games, learn how to win those close games. And then those games become bigger. And, and I think you were here for the Boston college game yes. earlier this season. And um, you've been around coach Mike Norvell and, and Alex Atkins just, I'm wondering your impressions of, of those two guys yeah. in particular, what you well, think. Well, you know, you watch, you watch games, you watch film. Well, let's go back, let's go back to Jordan for a second. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if the stats are all that dramatically different, but I think I can, the, you know, the eyeball test for me as a quarterback's coach my whole life, I see the improvement in this kid. You know, and the same same thing is true for the team. You you see they're more polished at, at taking care of business. You know they've had their share of mistakes, sure, but you know they they look. You look at their body types. You know, and their body types are becoming more and more like championship level teams. Um, you know that didn't happen on accident. Hmm. And um, you know, I think when Norville t- took over, I don't think the body types were quite the same. To be honest with you. Yeah. But I think they, I think the kids are looking better, looking bigger, stronger, faster, and I think they're getting coached well. And when there's consistency in that coaching, it just breeds confidence for those players to begin to become the leaders on the field, so to speak, because they know it's expected. You know, a lot of people think 
player-led team means the players have taken over. That's not true. A player-led team is a team that has veteran players that know exactly how things need to be done, and they hold themselves and everybody else accountable. Right, right. Well, well, Coach, before I let you go, what I mean, you're obviously the ACC Network, and, and what what all you got going on in your life? Uh, I'm just curious, like, what, right. what, what can you tell fans yeah, about? Yeah, the weekends stay pretty busy with the ACC Network. This is, gosh, I think it's year four uh, doing that. I've enjoyed it, you know, working with Eric McLean, a former Clemson lineman, and Jordan Cornett, a former Notre Dame basketball player who is our host, but you know, the the star of the show, you know, E.J. Manuel, <laughs> uh, just, uh, you know, former uh, great quarterback at Florida State, as everybody knows, first-round draft pick, but first-round human being. All, all those guys are great. I, I just enjoy working with those young guys, and, uh, you know, they're going to make big careers of their uh, TV stuff, you know, but... I'm just there to have a good time and uh, enjoy the ride a little bit. So, you know, I got why I got at least I got at least one more year on my contract with the network. So we'll see how that goes in time. But just trying to enjoy every day as they come. What is what does retirement look like for you? Are you gonna be on the beach uh, sipping margaritas all day? Or <laughs> well, that's what we did originally. We went to Destin and lived there two years. Uh, before, you know, we started doing other things. But uh, I would say Catherine and I, my wife Catherine and I, our original goal in, in retirement was to, especially in the football season, look at the calendar, look at some of the best games in the nation, and then just, you know, travel the country and go hopefully be the guest at, uh, you know, some of these ball games. And we've got nephews playing ball. We've got two nephews at Texas A&M. Got a nephew at Georgia Southern, and you know my son John's coaching high school ball now. And, you know I miss I miss those games because I'm on the way to Bristol, Connecticut, or where we're going to be. So I think, and the other thing that we're doing is we've got three grandchildren living right down the street, so we spend a lot of time with them too. All right, that was Coach Mark Rick. Thanks again to him for the interview. Really enjoyed it. And now I'm uh, with Essen now to talk FSU Miami. It is rivalry week, Essen. Gotta love it. Seven and a half point favorite Florida State right now. How are you feeling about this game? What's what? What is kind of the initial things that jump out to you? Yeah, I mean, obviously the big question is if Tyler Van Dyke plays. Yes, Miami struggle offensively either way, but you feel. You know, one way about facing Van Dyke versus facing, you know, um, Jake Garcia. Oh, absolutely. He, he practiced yesterday. It, it's interesting. We, like, I was on a podcast with Tom D'Angelo, who kind of uh, covers Miami uh, down there, and he he was making it sound like he, he felt like Tyler Van Dyke separated his throwing shoulder, that, that he's out. He, he, he felt like he's not going to play the rest of the year. But he's practicing. So I'm like, I, I don't know what to believe. This is like the third or fourth game this season that Florida State has not known who the starting quarterback would be against them. It happened against Duquesne, happened against Georgia Tech, happened with LSU. Uh, and now here we are, fourth time again. So Florida State's kind of prepared in that regard. Um, they they know both of these quarterbacks. It's not like Jake Garcia it's not like he. There's no film on him. Like they've they've gotten some valuable film on him. So I think that will help as well. Yeah, I mean, um, who knows how UM runs their practices compared to you know some other universities that we may cover? What that we don't can't deem what practicing means, you know? Yeah, it could mean a number of things that we don't know what that means, you know. So yeah, I mean, we've been told, oh, this guy practiced, and we're like, no, nah, he just stood there the whole time. That's not a practice. So we're not going to say who or what, but that's that's happened. So, I yeah, mean, so, you know, we don't know what the definition of practicing is because teams mislead us with that, you know. <laughs> so He just stood not, there and stretched. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so, you know, just saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just saying. But but we did see Treshawn Ward actually practice this week. We also saw Fabian Lovett actually practice this week. So that is something that that 
that we should say. And, I mean, this Florida State football team has been banged up all year, all preseason camp really too. You could argue this is the healthiest that this team has been since the spring game. And we have not been able to really watch a fully healthy Florida State football team besides maybe the the LSU game. Um, and, and pieces Duquesne, but, you know, Bless Harris goes down. Maurice Smith wasn't available. Uh, Amarian Cooper wasn't available. So, like, that – even Duquesne, they weren't fully healthy. Uh, so this is, like, that first time. And I think, you know, uh, where it will really show up, I think, is on the defensive side of the ball because I don't think any – any like that's the side of the ball where they've been the most banged up with Jared Verse, Fabian Lovett. You saw Robert Cooper get a little banged up for a bit. Uh, Tatum Bethune absolutely this year. Um, it's been almost everywhere in the in the in the secondary too with Amari and Cooper. So like this is the most healthy they've been, and I think this is kind of a chance to show hey what does this team look like when they're a hundred percent. Yeah, no, you're right. You know. Um... We joked about it last week um, pregame. It was our easiest time, you know, looking on the field and trying to figure out who's pl- who's in it, and who's out, because there was like the list was so much shorter of like who was playing and who was not. Um, and then, you know, knock on wood, that entry tent the last two weeks Florida State has played has not been running up, running, you know, being run as much. So, knock on wood once again, you know, because we don't root for um, anyone where we're covering a game, but at the same time, we don't root for en- we don't want. That's one thing we root for is no injuries, you know. Oh yeah. Because. Because it makes our so, job stressful. That that's the number one reason, right? No, that's no. number one reason, like you know, <laughs> you know. But yeah, so you know, that's it's great to see the team's healthy. You know, um, it looks like Miami is relatively healthy coming into this game. Outside of you know Van Dyke, um, they're getting some of their receivers back. Um, the defense looks healthier. You know, and that's a good defense Florida State will be facing. You know, we talk about that a little bit. You know, Florida State has faced some tough defenses, and Miami's right up there. I'll say, I'll say right there, signs of good, but I just I can't get the Middle Tennessee State game out of my head, where they're getting ninety yard touchdowns, and you know I, I know their defensive coordinator this week, Kevin Steele, got pretty snippy with a reporter who was trying to say like, hey, these explosive plays you guys are giving up, when when's that going to stop? Especially against this Florida State team, like how are you going to do that? He's like, hey, we only had two against Virginia. Like, what are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, but you gave up like 40 against Middle Tennessee State. So let's not I act mean, like this defense has against, done it before. Two against um, Virginia is like, you know, 40 is the same as 40 <laughs> against Middle Tennessee, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, Virginia is, is dreadful. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I think they have good elements to it. But you also think about some of the bad teams they've played. I mean, I'm just going to pull it up like – you know, Virginia, absolutely dreadful, right? Uh, Bethune-Cookman, awful. Southern Miss, awful. Uh, Texas A&M, terrible offense. Virginia Tech, terrible. Um, really, the, the good great offense they played was North Carolina. Uh, Duke is, is probably average, um, maybe below average. Um, I think the Duke game is probably unfair to judge the defense by the 45 points because, as we saw, eight turnovers. So, Oh, no. But I'm just saying the good defensive numbers are more inflated by all these bad games, you know? Yeah, definitely. So I'm not fully convinced. And and despite, you know, they're better defending the run, but despite playing those bad offenses, they're pretty bad against the pass. They're number 100 in pass efficiency defense this year. And out of all of the teams on, on Florida State's schedule, that ranks last. They, they will not play a single pass efficiency defense this year that is worse. So this could be a game where you really air it out and, and you get Jordan Travis coming off a career-high game and passing, throwing it for 300-plus again. Oh, definitely. That's a, that's a great point, you know. And this is something we've talked about a little bit with, you know, the other big reporters. We saw it against Duke. We've seen it, you know, a couple times against Middle Tennessee. Um, Miami, when it gets tough, and we've seen the past years too, quits. Their players quit, <laughs> which is a terrible sign under, you know, um, a first-year head coach. So yeah. if Florida State gets ahead by, you know, 14 points, 21 points, does Miami have anything to fight back? That'd be interesting to watch, you know. if Or even if 7 nothing, and it's a devastating long drive by Florida State, does Miami kind of like, you know, just 
where they're at there and that that's a ball game. Yeah, you know, the 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 book on Mario Cristobal has always been and you look back at his time at Oregon, he'd been a great recruiter, and you look at what he's doing now, top ten class. Carmani McLean, Money McLean. I mean, they're recruiting extremely well. They're recruiting better than any program in the state right now. But the problem with Mario Cristobal is the on-the-field coaching is not very good. The X's and O's are not very good. You see what Justin Herbert did as soon as he left Oregon and got to the NFL, and he's a freaking rock star. You look at what Oregon is right now, and you look at – you know, they have a pretty average quarterback in Bo Nix, but they've turned him into a pretty good player this year under a, a, a first-year regime and a new OC. So Mario Cristobal, to me, like, you get great recruiting but kind of a bad-on-the-field product, and right now you're seeing that this year. You're seeing him, too, blame his players a little bit, talking about, oh, this is a rebuild. You know, once we get our players in, it's kind of like, I don't know if you should totally be speaking that way. Um, and it doesn't matter what players you've got. This is a team that finished the season strong last year. You shouldn't be losing to Duke by 24 at home. You shouldn't be losing to Middle Tennessee State. So ultimately, I, I think it's, um, yeah, definitely a program that concerns me as far as the short term. But with the way they're recruiting, I mean, it, it definitely could turn around. It's just for this weekend, if you don't have Van Dyke and with, what this team is putting on the field on a week-in, week-out basis, a lot of concern for me. Yeah, no, 100%. Like, you know, it's um, – you have questions about Chris Ball's coaching, like you mentioned. You know, Tyler Van Dyke looked like a first-round pick last year, which you could talk about later. You know, there are some scouts that did not believe that. <laughs> um, but he looked like a first-round pick last year. I believe he was in the Heisman talks coming into the season. Like, you yeah. know, Miami was ranked um, pretty high coming in. They're like, oh, Tyler Van Dyke is going to cement his, um, his status as a first-round pick, be in the Heisman race. None of that's come to fruition, and then just the offense has been middling. It's not very good. The defense has been good, um, you know, for the most part. Like you mentioned, um, inferior competition, but it's been decent. So it's kind of interesting to see what the Miami team looks like in person to watch, you know, because it's one thing to watch them on TV, but it's another mm-hmm. thing to see them in person and be like, you know, get some impressions off that. And look on the sideline. That's been one thing – I will be looking at during the game as a sideline to see how players react to tough breaks, how, you know, um, different plays is I want to see how Miami responds to different things, because that's going to tell me more about that team and their mindset than what they're doing in the field. And I will say, I'm not going to try to act like this is a top 15 roster in the country. Like this is not, their wide receivers are pretty bad from what I've seen. Their offense is, is kind of a joke. So it's not like Tyler Van Dyke has a lot of guys to work with. And so, I, I, I mean, it's, it, I think people just overrated them. They were, but I, I think both things can be true that they're underachieving woefully, but they were also overrated before the season. It, it's somewhere okay. kind of in the middle there. Um, so I'm going to ask you to talk about your story quickly. You know, you have a um, story coming out later to, um we're recording this on um, today's Thursday. I can't remember what days it is anymore, but today's Thursday. Later this um, evening, you have an article um, about, um, you know, drafts. So you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought it was a, a fascinating concept thinking about going in this year how Tyler Van Dyke was supposed to be a first-round pick. Anthony Richardson was supposed to be a guy who could really elevate up up the up the draft boards. And then Jordan Travis was like, who even is this guy? Like, this, this guy haven't, hasn't put anything on there to inspire any confidence that he could be an NFL draft uh, kind of guy. So that's kind of flipped. It's now, Tyre Van Dyke, there are a lot of questions with him. Anthony Richardson, been some questions with him. Jordan Travis, though he still probably is not a guy who would get drafted this this offseason, um, he, has, he has put himself in a, so much of a better position with what he's shown this year so ultimately I, I talked to Dane Brugler with with the athletic who I really consider to be the best draft analyst out there besides maybe like Kuiper um, I, I really like Mel Kuiper but um, and McShay is pretty good too but but so he's he's one of those you know top three top five kind of draft guys and I, I asked him you know who on Florida State's team do you think 
will get drafted if if they went out this year. And he named me four guys. Um, the, the first one was Jared Verse. In his new rankings, he had him 34, 34 overall uh, in his newest rankings released uh, on Wednesday. He, he had Johnny Wilson as a guy he thinks would be uh, but probably a late-round pick, five through seven. He believes that Johnny Wilson should come back for another year, that he would really benefit from that. Jamie Robinson, he thought he was a top, you know, you know, three to five rounds, potentially a top 100 guy if he finishes the, the year off strong and, and does well at the combine. And then the last one um, was Fabian Lovett, who he thinks could be a late round pick. Again, kind of depends on how he finishes because of the injury he had. So, so four guys, um, you think about the guys who are missing there, right? Like Robert Scott, Tatum Bethune, Kalen Deloach, Dylan Gibbons, uh, Keem Dent. There's some guys there. It'll be interesting to see. Will they come back for another year? Um, and will they be a priority free agent, uh, undrafted? Um, I would I would check it out though to to see kind of his analysis, his reasoning why. But I think two two of the biggest names, and and let me see if you agree, Essen. The two names that if you th- if you think about like this Florida State roster if they're going to be a team that can be better next season, the two guys they got to bring back, number one's Jordan Travis. He's got to be back Two, I don't know if I'd rank him two, but he will be very important is probably Johnny Wilson. Just of those guys that could potentially get drafted. Like Johnny Wilson's the guy who's probably the best who would not leave. Um, I don't know what what you think on that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, Cause um Maybe you could uh, make an argument for Fabian Lovett because um, just the year he's had, he's been so much. But he can't come back though. He can't. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so yeah, um, because Jared Verse, like you mentioned, thirty-four. That's close enough, and some teams gonna tell him see a first-round pick for him. So I can't see him coming back. It's that's a long shot. Yeah, I'm excluding him. There's no way he comes back if you're a first-round. It doesn't make sense for him, but you know, financially or you know, um, but yeah. So Jordan Travis and Johnny Wilson, although. you could make the argument that Johnny Wilson, yes, as good as he is, Florida State could make up for his loss with that talent, the talent they have in the receiver room. Um, we so I would say he's a, um, a second, uh, probably distant because if Jordan Travis leaves, do you believe the quarterback of the future is on the roster right now? I I don't. Uh, well, future. I, I'm. Uh... I mean, twenty twenty three season the next year. Uh, how about that? You know, yeah, next year I, start, is he in the roster right now? I don't think so. I think they'd go through the portal. I think they they've shown enough in the portal. They've they've got a great enough offense that they'd become a much more attractive place to go to than they have been in the past. So I think they could land a guy that they would like. Um, that's just kind of my opinion. Um, and as, I agree. As far as Wilson. As far as Wilson, if he came back and if Jordan Travis came back, Wilson could be one of the, if not the best receivers in the ACC. He could have a 1,300-yard, 10-plus touchdown kind of year. I, I feel like he, he's capable of doing that if he came back for another year. I mean, he's already on pace to probably get to 1,000 yards this season. So I think it's possible. It's don't you think? I mean, don't you think he could be one of the best in the ACC? I mean, that that would be huge. Oh, definitely. I think um, one thing he needs to show is the consistency. You know, um, yeah, he's shown some great flashes, but then we see him drop, and we've seen this in practice. You know, where he just hasn't dropped it. It's like how you look how crazy talented you are. How you how can you not hold on to that ball? You know? Yeah. No, I. It I, just it's an easy one. So that's the one thing that's really really holding him back. The drops and the consistency. He shows up, you know, in more big games and makes big plays. You know, the Louisville game was spectacular. He, that was a, you know, he just took over that game. And that was Brugler's point. He said, you know, he wants to see more complete games. And sometimes when you're a receiver who's on the cusp of being a number one, but not quite a number one, your biggest problem is having a dynamic presence at all times, you know, with Johnny, there can be times where maybe there's three drives in a row where he doesn't get a catch. But then he has one drive where he really goes off. You'd like to see it to where he's got a dynamic presence on every single drive. And what you love about him is his blocking ability because 
when you have an elite blocker like that on the perimeter, you're always going to have an impact. Um, but but I mean, as um, a receiver, if you, yeah. If you look at the um, snaps every week, you know, um, Pittman gets a good amount of snaps, but he'll come off the field for a good number as well. Ja'Kai Douglas is making a bigger impact now, and but he won't play all the snaps. Ontario Wilson, um, Kendron, all these other guys kind of rotate in and out. I have to, I don't have the exact number, but Johnny Wilson's on the field for most of the staff because he's a huge component of the blocking game as well. Absolutely. So let, let's go back to Miami real quick before we get into our predictions. Just sort of keys to the game. I know you, you had an opponent preview for Florida State to win this game. What are you thinking, Essen? What what do they need to kind of get it done? And and do you expect a closer game than expected? Um, I do not. We'll get to that in predictions, but um, definitely, you know, um, a key will be just coming out. And you know, you can't. Um, I think we talked about this with um, Norvell's brought this up. The players brought this up. No touchdowns last week. Eight turnovers a week before for Miami. You can't come into this game underestimating the Miami defense you know, offense. You know, no matter what they've done the past couple of weeks. You just got to be ready for what they – you got to prepare for their best game and hope they have their worst. Another key in my um, opponent preview was, you know, you got to control the emotions. Yeah. got to control the emotions. This is a rivalry game. It's, it, there's going to be a part where it gets chippy. You cannot be – you know, someone's going to throw, throw a shove. You can't be the guy who throws a shove back and gets that 15-yard penalty. Absolutely. That's going to be another – you know, because as we know, the refs usually catch the second guy, not the first guy. <laughs> Yep, we've seen it all the time. Um, no, I, I agree with you. Let's just let's get to predictions because I, I think I agree with you on the fact that I actually think Florida State wins this game pretty convincingly. Um, I've been a little hesitant at times to pick convincing wins for Florida State this year just because they, they have not quite shown the ability to, to put it all together from the you know very beginning to the very end. You saw it with Georgia Tech, too. But I think in this one, Miami's just a dumpster fire. They they really are. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. If they don't have Ty, Tyra Van Dyke, I mean, that offense is just garbage. And I think their defense, I think they're a little overrated. I mean, we laid it out. They're, they're not a very good secondary. And why they're so good against the run and in scoring is because they played some pretty bad offenses. So I think this is a team that Florida state will move the ball pretty well against. Uh, the only thing that I think keeps Florida state from winning this game is if they're just a disaster shooting their shooting themselves in the foot, you know, turnovers, uh, not finishing in the red zone, if, if those things continue to happen at a, at a higher rate and, you know, the rivalry game gets to their heads a little bit, that's the way that this is closer, that Miami wins. But I'm going to pick 34-16 Florida State. I think this could be a game – I think it could be a game Florida State wins by like 30 or 40. Like I really think this could be a game they dominate. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. I think it will be close enough. But 34-16 is what I'm going to roll with because I think Florida State's – in a much better position than them right now. Yeah, so I got a similar score. I got 34-20. So they win by two touchdowns. So, But this is going to be one thing that's going to keep Adam Fuller up is Miami scores a late touchdown to make it a 14-point game <laughs> where they um, cannot lose contain. So Adam Fuller is going to be like, you know, why are we giving up that late score? So Yeah, press conference this week. Uh, he's asked about the young guys, and he's like, I, don't know, I wish they didn't give up a touchdown late. Uh, it's is pretty funny. Um, but Essen, let's go ahead and talk about the, the other sports at, at FSU. Cause we, we got a lot coming up with, with basketball and soccer. So let's, let's get rolling with soccer. You know, you've been covering them all year better than anybody. You, you've been all over this, this run. Uh, now they're, you know, about to get started with the ACC tournament. So, so tell us, uh, what you're thinking about this team and, and what they got coming up next. Yeah, I mean, so um, I'll start off with, um, you know, pitching my own story that I did earlier this week. Um, was posted um, this morning, I believe, or yeah, last night, sorry, um, about, you know, um, how, you know, let's talk, you know, he was put, um, Brian Penske was put in a tough position when he took the job. Mm-hmm. 
um, you know, coming off a national championship, um, he's t- inheriting a team that, you know, was probably like, you know, talked about as a favorite. And then he comes in and people don't have the, don't have the same expectations because, you know, everyone entered the transfer portal. A lot of them came back then because, you know, he did a good job of convincing them. But it was on, he, it's, a, it's a team that he could have lost their locker room pretty early on. And he did a good job of, like, you know, giving power to the team, empowering them, and making sure that, feel, that they feel like it's their team. Kind of did a feature on that, you know, just the players talking about that, Brian Penske talking about that, of how that was a key. Um, they play Notre Dame tonight at eight in the ACC quarter, tournament quarterfinal. Semifinal, sorry, semifinal. Um, they w- um, you know, winning tonight against a uh, top five team could be huge for them landing a number one seed in the um, NCAA tournament. And if they win tonight, um, they would get revenge for one of their two losses in the season. That came back um, earlier this month following a um, win over number in Virginia on a Thursday. They traveled to um, South Bend and played North, Notre Dame on a Sunday. Quick turnaround, lost the game 4 nothing, where they just fell behind early and never found it. So um, they were upset about the loss. They're kicking themselves up about that loss still, so... I fully expect them to come back and um, you know play angry tonight, and um, should be an interesting game. You talk that about, game will be on ACC Network. You talk about Penske, and when I met with him in the off season, right after he'd been hired, uh, first of all, re- really, just a, a likable dude. Like he 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 knows how to relate with people. He knows how to have a conversation, and um, he he's got his guard down a lot more than. Kerkorian did. He he's a lot more open, uh, a lot more personable. Just from from what I've heard, I have I haven't met Kerkorian, but that's just kind of what I hear. But um, I, I think he he came into it with the right mindset. I mean, he he understood Kerkorian is like the goat. Like he he is incredible. There may not ever be a better soccer coach in Florida State history than Kerkorian. Like he just set the bar so freaking high and what Penske did that was so admirable is he accepted that he didn't try to say I'm gonna make this my team I'm gonna make this my style he kind of said okay I'm gonna like I'll put my fingerprints on things but I'm not going to holistically change everything and let my ego get in the way of something that this guy built for this program I think uh, my favorite quote from my story was you know he's like you know, changing things would just be a flex for, you know, a muscle flex for the sake of making a muscle flex. You know, I was like, mm-hmm. he understood the assignment of coming in, you know, that he has a great senior class. You know, veterans that have won a national championship, some Clara Robbins too, you know. So um, he knew, like, you know, he's like, let us let me let them re- lead the team. And I think, um, I believe it was um, Nice Longer had the quote. She said that, you know, he let us coach up him while he coached us. That sums it up excellent, you know. They let him catch up to what Florida State is, and um, he was able to instill his stuff, you know, nicely as well. So, Yeah. And uh, on the basketball now, before we, we, we wrap up, season for both teams starting on Monday. Uh, so we, we've got some preseason coverage coming for you guys. I know we speak to Leonard Hamilton tomorrow. I met with – Rook Wyckoff, the, the women's coach, the, the brand-new women's coach this week, and I also met with uh, Leonard Hamilton. So I have some, some great preseason stories coming out if you guys would like to, to read them. But uh, to start off with just men's basketball real quick, um, I think every Florida State fan is furious about the, the, how the whole Baba Miller thing panned out. Um, I mean, it was – like, we don't have to get into it too much. I mean, we could have a whole podcast about it. Um, <laughs> but, like, that was just ridiculous, man. I mean, 16-game suspension for something that happened, you know, before the whole Florida State. It didn't even involve Florida State. And uh, he's getting suspended that many games. Uh, we, we've written about it. Y'all, y'all can check it out. No, no need to, to beat a dead horse, but um, – NCAA, uh, an NCAA gone NCAA. Um, and, and here we are now, Florida State, they're coming in the season without Baba Miller, who's going to be a very key piece, and without Jalen Ganey, who's going to be a very key piece. And, you know, the, the thing about this Florida State basketball team, 
what you admire about them is they're a program that is so big on effort and hustle and relentless just effort, you know? And so when you're a little shorthanded and we saw it last year, it can really affect you. You know, you can't, you know, you're, if you don't have all your players available, you're asking some of your starters and some of your key backups to play a little bit longer and in a system and a normal system, that's not that huge of a deal, but in this system where you're picking guys up from, from 90 feet full court and you're, you're just relentless with how you rebound and defend uh, and switch one through five, it's really hard to make up for that. So this is a team that is very inexperienced. They only returned a few guys. They've got Jalen Worley back, Naheem McLeod, Caleb Mills, and, and Matthew Cleveland, really the main four guys back. And then a lot of uh, pieces they've added through you know, this freshman class, like Tom House and Cameron Cor- Corrin and Chandler Jackson. Then you've got the UCF transfer, the sharpshooter, and Darren Green. Uh, they've got some great pieces. I think you know Green, Cleveland, Mills, those are going to be the three top players for you this year. But you know, can these freshmen turn into something for you? And how are you going to make up for the loss of Ganey and Baba, I think will probably be the keys. And, and this is a demanding front-loaded schedule as well. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. You know, um, Coach Hamilton's done a great job of leading a program for years, getting to that tournament year in, year out. Last year being an exception with injuries. So um, it'll be interesting to see how he does it this year. Like you mentioned, you know, that the injuries, um, at least – he knows going in, maybe he, he can work some magic knowing he's going into it instead of like, you know, it popping up in the middle of the season. So we'll see how, how that works out. And now, I, um, they will get better too. I, I think when Baba comes back and as these freshmen learn, they've got some talented freshmen. I like Tom House. I like Cam Corrin, Chandler Jackson, everything you hear about him, the, the hype is great. He's just, he's out for, for the moment with an injury. So, um, I think they've got some guys to like. It's just a matter of inexperience right now. Um, but, yeah, we were going to talk about women's basketball as well. Um, man, uh, we got to see it at the exhibition, Essen. Um, this we'll is a totally – Yeah, and we'll see it tonight. The, this is a new team. I mean, they, they got a new coach in Brooke Wyckoff, but it is totally different now. They're all about space and pace, three-point shooting, uh, getting layups. Uh, when I talked to their head assistant coach, Bill Ferrara, he said, every possession we're trying to get a three or an and one. Um, and I'm, I'm writing a story about it, so I won't spoil too much. But, but just know this women's basketball team, not in, they're probably not going to be the best team in the ACC or top three, but they're going to be one of the most fun Florida State women's basketball teams that you've ever watched. Um, and so just get ready. I think you guys are going to like that brand of basketball. I don't know if you have anything else to add to that, Essen. I know you also have a volleyball story you're working on. Yeah, no, um, Tanaya Latson, I think um, you mentioned, um, not spoiling anything, but um, you, you know, she had 20 points, and um, you mentioned the assistant coach said she should have had 40 points easily. So Yeah, 40 and 15. <laughs> 40 and 15. That's, that's not an exaggeration. That's a kind of dynamic um, playmaker and scorer that Tanaya Latson can be. And she's me so much on the watch this year. Like, men or women, there's no player I'm more excited to watch than Latson. Yeah, she's, she's going to be so much fun to watch for sure. And we had a feature on her um, last week. Um, you know, fun feature about just getting to know her. Um, she loves dancing to um, Spanish music. So, <laughs> all right, you, you have one more story to plug before we go. Yeah, I'll plug. You know, um, volleyball is coming down to the um, end of the season. I talked to Coach Poole yesterday. Had a fun interview with him. You know, um, he's talking about his team. They're ranked number thirty-two in our period right now. They have some work to do. They have six matches remaining. They play Georgia Tech Sunday, who's ranked number ten. So, they have some work during their last few matches. They've been. Um, unlucky with health this year a lot of injuries a lot of um you know just having to work different rotations because they don't have all their players so i think he said two weeks ago they got all their players back so he's excited that you know the last month of the season is when they can be able to make that final push and he thinks they have a legit chance because there's some talent but um yeah 
moving on to um, you know, I'm working on a feature about um, for um, one of their seniors, Emma Clatier, Clatier, believe how you pronounce it. Um, and um, she just, um, you know, we had a 20 minute conversation yesterday, and most of it was about like you know, she mentioned something about music, and we just talked about music for the entire time. And she like mentioned the Killers concert, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Nicki Minaj, Drake, Taylor Swift, man, like um, just she has a playlist for everything, and just. It was incredible to hear, like, you know, how much her life is shaped by music, and it was a fun story to put together. You got to read it, Carter. Um, it's just a different story. It's a fun story. I think you guys will enjoy that. That'll be up um, Friday morning. They were on her and three other, um, three other, four other seniors for um, senior night. So on Friday against um, Clemson. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's it's good stuff. We love our uh, Taylor Swift, that's for sure. <laughs> Have I mentioned that before? I love Taylor Swift, guys. I don't know if I've mentioned yeah, that at all. Yeah, yeah, only a few times. So. <laughs> yeah. I well, mean, Matthew Cleveland, um, Emma, Pothier, all love um, Taylor Swift, so FSU is pro-Taylor. <laughs> well, good stuff. That's all we got for you guys. We will be at Miami this weekend, so uh Come come join us at Tallahassee.com. You can follow us on Twitter. Uh, we'll have coverage for you all weekend covering FSU Miami. So with that, thank you for listening.